2: To getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: I know you'll be alright, even when times get hard, and you feel like you're in the dark. You will see how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart You can finally start To live your truthiest life
4: Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. It's the Friday after Thanksgiving, and I hope that you are listening to this episode and feeling a bit more grounded than perhaps the last couple of days. I feel like as we prepare to go into the holidays, especially... This last one, as we haven't been able to gather for the holidays for a long time, we might've been extra scrambling, extra crazy to pack. Remember the masks might feel a lot of nervous energy to be around so many people at once. And today we might be sitting with that buzzing energy. I know that as an empath, I take on the energy around me. And if I don't take a moment to clear it, to wash it away, to ground down, to have a little moment of solitude, I can find myself feeling really anxious and not knowing why. So this is my invitation to you to inhale and exhale, sigh, let it out, let your belly release, let it press against your pants, let it go, let it just release all the tension that it unknowingly holds on to so that you can go into this weekend or whatever day you're listening to this feeling a little bit more like you've got your feet on the ground and you know where you want to go. Anyway, I think we can all agree that the last few years have been uh, a little bit weird to say the least, and we're all pretty eager to go back to how it was, God willing, we kind of get to the place where we can resume some sort of normal life activities. It certainly seems like we're heading there right now. But the question that really we need to think about is, can we really go back to what was now that we as individuals have changed so much? And after recording the episode that i'm going to share today with you with a psychiatrist named dr conti i talked about trauma and the trauma that i was not willing to acknowledge i was experiencing because of the pandemic because so many people had it worse than i did and a lot of you related so i just want to get into that a little bit more but for me i kind of had this very delayed reaction to the effects of the pandemic on my mental health. In fact, it wasn't until very recently, so coming up on almost two years, that I really acknowledged, holy fuck, I'm really affected by the pandemic. Socially, mental health-wise, I'm anxious, I haven't seen people. I've been alone so much, especially because of my pregnancy where I was extra isolated during a time when the rest of the world was kind of opening back up. And I'm, I'm definitely feeling the trauma on my brain chemistry. But for most of the pandemic, you know, my life compared to millions of Americans and people around the world stayed largely unchanged. I had already been working from home. My husband, Evan, is a doctor, so he still got up and went to work every day. We both kept our jobs. We were able to pay our bills, have food on the table, and not those big, big worries that millions of people had during this time of losing their job and, you know, so many things also staying in place. The bill stay static, but the money coming in changed for so many people. And I really, really saw that very clearly. And I really, really saw that very clearly to the point where I didn't believe that I could really complain about the effects of the pandemic because so many people had it worse. And I didn't sit there being like, I can't complain because so many people had it worse. I genuinely and consciously believed that I was in you know, a good place, largely unaffected by the pandemic. And it wasn't until now that I really realized that all of us, no matter the level of trauma or devastation that we experienced, those feelings are valid. Yes, there are varying levels of the trauma response to the pandemic, some much, much, much more severe and obvious than others but i think all levels of trauma need to be addressed so that when we re-enter the world and society we recognize that we have this altered mindset so we can kind of modulate, bring curiosity, bring compassion to the areas that have kind of happening. So all of us really need to take a second to realize that our brains, our chemistry changed as a result from so much more use of technology, not a lot of in-person social interactions, big fear of germs or touching other people, like all the different things that, you know, used to be so normal for us are, are no longer there. And there's a level of trauma and effect that we need to visit so that we can really understand and take the best care of ourselves. And the thing with traumas is it really makes us forget things. It makes us remember others. It can bring fear into the conversation when it certainly doesn't belong. And all of this kind of like builds these invisible walls around us. And unless we're taking a moment to kind of consciously own that we've built these walls around us, that we are different, we're gonna to continue to live with this barrier up and feel like we're always on guard. And while it's obviously important to protect ourselves in so many ways, we have to really consider what that's keeping us apart from. And a lot of times that's the life and the love and the passion that we want. And it takes really having these conversations about trauma, subdividing trauma into different parts so that we can say, okay, it might not be trauma in the sense of, you know, what we always talk about trauma or obvious trauma, like rape or burglary or things that are clearly so traumatic in our society, but there are other types of trauma happening to us day to day that have happened in our past uh, growing up the way we were treated by our parents, even if it wasn't physical abuse, was there a level of verbal abuse or just a feeling of being less than that you always had to kind of, you know, to prove yourself. All these things deserve being visited so that we can break these walls down and live our best lives. So today's episode is going to be talking to an amazing, you're going to just love him, Dr. Conti, and his amazing book, called Trauma, the Invisible Epidemic, which is now out. I will link in the show notes. And I also just want to give you real quick a heads up about December. So December, you know, we're heading into the new year and a lot of times we're talking about goals and what do we want to make with the rest of the year? And that kind of stuff gives me all sorts of anxiety and unnecessary timelines, like we've got 30 days, we got to make them great. I don't know. That doesn't really work for me ever. For me, I really see this as a time to reflect and that makes me feel more grounded and I wouldn't say in control, but it makes me feel really good to take a moment to assess what this year brought for me and, I came up with the idea for myself that I wanted to share 10 life lessons that I learned in 2021, and I thought the rest of the month leading up to my episode, so my episode will be the last one, could be with you all, my listeners, my loyal listeners who are now you know, my community, and you're all just like me. You're introspective. You're willing to go there. Each episode that you listen to on The Truth is Life, you take something away, and I love your open-mindedness, and it's so cool for me to see that in a community because <laughs> I don't really see it in the outside world world or on the internet very much, Um, and you're kind of all invisible to me. I just talk into this microphone, and I kind of hope that somewhere someone out there is listening and digesting the information, but for these next few weeks, I'm going to bring on some listeners, so just normal me and you combos, and really hear what you all have learned. I've already recorded two of them, and they are just fantastic, and I'm so honored to really have you all as members of the Truthiest Life community. Okay, That was a lot of talking. Just wanted to let you know what's coming up for December. We'll have a bunch of guest episodes from our community. And then the last one will be from me um, sharing my 10 life lessons of 2021. Lots to reflect on. And again, I hope you're having a grounding holiday weekend if you're listening to this at that time, if not just a grounding day in general. With all of my love, I'll see you here next week. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. Today, we have a really special, intelligent genius, I will say, guest on the show.
5: It's kind. Thank you.
4: Dr. Paul Conti, author of Trauma, The Invisible Epidemic. And this book, I got my hands on it. Thank you so much. It gives you a lot to think about that goes below the surface when we think about the word trauma. Yes. So you are a psychiatrist, right?
5: Yes. I'm a psychiatrist by training and, I, and I, that my work life includes being a, a practicing psychiatrist most of the time. Yes.
4: It's amazing what you're doing, really Thank looking you. at how the brain and our psychology and everything is really impacted all together. You have an amazing foreword in this book by Lady Gaga. Thank I you. mean, it sounds like you really saved her life.
5: She's very kind in her assessment, but but we've worked very, very hard together on things that she has had to navigate that are really, in a lot of us, it's, a, it's just a human story, the, the story of trauma. And for those of us who've had trauma in our lives, which is almost all of us directly or vicariously through other people, we sort of have the same things to get over. And she and I have worked hard on all that together.
4: And I'm sure, you know, she's kind of a big name, but I think she can be such a powerful person to really say, hey, this is what trauma looks like. This is what it did to me. And that might have a trickle-down effect on people who don't have a name like Lady Gaga to say, okay, I'm, I'm not broken if I need help.
5: Yeah, it's very important uh, to her, I, I believe, to, to to share the truth and, again, the shared humanity of trauma. And, and a person in that position who shares, like, this is part of my story and my life, too, is very, very helpful to people. Right? It, it validates the, the, the truth of what it does to us. And because it creates such isolation, Right? Trauma creates shame and shame creates isolation. That to hear that someone a person looks up to has also suffered from trauma, navigated trauma, I I think really inspires people to get themselves help when maybe they otherwise wouldn't.
4: And I think sometimes we look at celebrities or strangers or friends on the internet and we glamorize their life it can't be hard for them because look at their happy family, look at all their success, look right. at all their, the way it all looks on the outside. And I think, like you said, that perpetuates a lot of shame and the feeling right. of being othered. And right. it keeps that feeling festering and really holds people back from getting help and living their most aligned life.
5: Yes. The, the trauma makes us feel so isolated that we, we will think what's going on in us is unique to us. Right, and, and therefore, in a way, especially stigmatizing or shameful or or you know, even ill in a way that, that it's like just not okay to talk about. And that impacts people a lot, I mean, understanding that this is a problem across all of us, no matter what our place in life, and that by understanding it, by not keeping it inside of us, we can make a difference to ourselves and to everyone around us. I mean, I think it's a very inspiring message. And I think that's the message of the book is I'm, I'm writing about what I believe to be a tremendous problem. But but that tremendous problem has very powerful routes to, to, to making life better in, in all of us and in our societies, too.
4: What would you say to somebody listening to this that is sitting here saying, well, I don't have any trauma in my life?
5: Well, we tend to think of trauma as as an acute event. You know, our conception of trauma really arises from military trauma and trauma in combat where where there's, there's a, a very clear event and there's a sort of a before and an after, right? And, and in between, our coping skills are overwhelmed and, and, you know, people feel terror and horror. And, and, like, and that's true. I mean, it, it's true about acute trauma, whether it's in a military setting or it's in a regular life setting, which unfortunately happens to us a lot in regular life. But trauma can also be chronic in ways for example people who are constantly get the message of being less than right? And, and that could come through socioeconomic demographic. It can come through racial aspects, right? It can also come through how a person is treated in, in a family unit or in the society around them. And trauma is also vicarious, that we can be deeply traumatized by experiencing what happens to other people. When you put all of that together and how trauma impacts the societies that we live in, I think it's, it's really hard to, to look at anyone's life and say, okay, it's untouched by trauma.
4: I mean, especially if you've survived these past two years of living in a pandemic, right? <laughs> you, you've certainly been affected by trauma in some way. I feel like just personally, I'm starting to, I thought I was really resilient throughout it all. Right. And now it's really coming crashing down I'm, on right. this has been traumatic for me as it has for anybody. you know, Obviously, I didn't, right. I didn't lose my job, so I didn't feel entitled. I think that's what I'm really going for here. I didn't lose my job or, or my life didn't drastically change very much because right. of the pandemic. My husband's a doctor. He still got up and went to work every day. And right. a lot of things stayed the same for me. And I didn't feel entitled to say, this hurts for me too, while I saw how bad it was for right. other people. And I think right. that trauma on a grand scale really has that effect on people in a day-to-day life. People think, well, I wasn't robbed or raped, you know, some of those quintessential, obviously traumatic, huge things that happen to people. And then they think, well, it's not so bad for me because my life is, is okay. They're not really getting to the root of their day-to-day trauma.
5: Absolutely. We tend to minimize our own trauma and very compassionate people who would never minimize someone else's trauma, right, will, will absolutely minimize the same thing going on inside of themselves. And we see that often no matter how big the trauma is. I mean, you mentioned like okay, the idea that you know, trauma is includes things other than being, say, robbed or raped. And, and people who have not suffered those things will often that, But sometimes people who've been robbed will say, well, this isn't big trauma. I wasn't raped. And, And someone who's raped would say, well, I wasn't robbed. Right. Because we tend to just minimize. And, and, and I think part of that comes from the sense of shame that, that something has happened that makes us feel differently about ourselves. It makes us feel afraid or makes us feel inadequate. And it's very hard to share that. And that very feeling makes the person minimize their own trauma. Right? I mean, you can see how there's a vicious cycle here that can, can really sort of spin away in someone where there's a lot of negative self-talk about how bad they are and how undesirable or unlovable. And, and that narrative is running along inside of someone while they're also minimizing the cause of all of it. I mean, it's really remarkable how it gets trapped inside of us and then can get just worse and worse that way.
4: Do you think that the culture of rise above hard things or push forward can perpetuate trauma and steal somebody's time or ability to really sit with the pain?
5: Yeah, I, I do think so. I mean, I, I think the idea that we want to do the best we can for ourselves and we want to strive forward and we want to sort of pull ourselves up, I, I think is absolutely a valid one, but, but it has to come along with, with some education guidance, helping resources, right? I mean, we can't just do all of that for ourselves, Right. And and there there has to be some balance of of mechanisms of understanding and of helping people that allows them to then take responsibility for themselves and for moving their lives ahead. But to just say, oh, you're just simply supposed to understand this would be like saying someone should make their own medical care, you know, if they get pneumonia. Well, like, why don't you know what antibiotic to take? It's like, well, we, we need help. And and if the right help is in place, then we can take that help and run forward with it, right? And and then help ourselves. But we, we do a very poor job of providing validation for trauma. Our, our healthcare system and certainly our, the, the mental health aspects of our healthcare system, I, I think do a very poor job of, of taking care of people and taking care of people in a way that that that's across time helps to understand and empower. We're very much, we have a healthcare system that polishes the hood when there's a problem with the engine. Right. And we don't want to look at the difficult things and we don't want to look at the truth of what trauma does individually and also in our societies. In so much acrimony and so much anger and recrimination, which often comes through a political lens, but, but is nonetheless an outlet for anger and frustration inside of people. And the boundaries of what's acceptable has changed so much that we, we create and perpetuate trauma just in the ways that our society behaves.
4: And what particularly drew you to this work? Did you always want to be a doctor?
5: No, it's actually a second career for me. I've I've been doing this for about 20 years, but I had uh, a business career out of college, which I enjoyed in many ways, but I was just interested in, you know, how people worked, you know, minds and bodies. And uh, when I went to medical school, I, I was in my... Late 20s, I think. And I didn't really know where it was going to end up, but psychiatry was a great way of being a doctor and thinking about medical things and, and doing medical investigations where needed, but also paying attention to what was going on inside of people, you know, people's life experiences. So the, the medical and the psychological together it really drew me to psychiatry. And once I was a psychiatrist, I just saw the common root of so much that I was treated, was treating, right? So I could see 20 cases in a day, all on paper so different and then look at well what was the root, right, that made the problems that, that 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 needed help and and the root of so much suffering is trauma. And and that's what led me to then, you know, really see this as central to our experience as people and central to our suffering.
4: And provide this great book as a tool to really deal with what's at the root and dragging us all down.
5: Well, th- thank you. Yes, that, that was the goal, is to say things that I learned either in my education, training, or experience that, that, I, that I so wished that I knew many, many years ago. You know, The idea that, that, that a lot of what I learned as a psychiatrist, I wish I had learned some of it even as far back as elementary school. You know, the the roots behind people's behavior when when people are being abusive, for example. These are things that we can teach children and in some settings do. But as a society, not only do we not teach people in those formative years, but we often don't teach ourselves ever right and and that was was very shocking to me and and the goal was to write a book that would be accessible to everyone who chose to be interested in trauma and to learn something about it that it would be accessible and it would be very practical about what goes on in our lives and illustrated with stories from real life and and ideas and and examples of what we can do about it
4: You articulated something so well in your book, and you said that trauma hijacks our stories and changes our experiences of the world. I just, when I read that, I knew what it felt like, but how would you describe that to somebody who's just hearing that for the first time?
5: Our memories that tell us who we are, We often think of them as like, as they're they're there, like as if they're written in stone, right? But the actual memories themselves don't have importance. It's when the memory gets linked to emotion inside of us and trauma often changes our emotions. And then we link those emotions to our memories. So someone who saw themselves as, as a, a capable, lovable person, right, who could find a good partner, find a good job and was excited about themselves after trauma will often not even remember that. And, and they'll talk about themselves as if they've never done much, they've never achieved much. And, you know, people are just better off without them. And, and you know, I'll, I'll sometimes know the person from before the trauma. And I I know they didn't believe that. Right. Their entire belief structure about themselves is now changed and, and coming along with that as an internal dialogue that, you know, that, that that tells them that they're worthless and tells them they're not going to get anywhere or make anything of themselves. And, and, and people can see this as, OK, that's my whole story. Right. Completely forgetting that that was never their story right? And and it doesn't reflect truth. And in a way, it's very frightening to see how this can change in people. And then in my own work as a, as a patient in therapy, right? To, to look at my own life and ways in which trauma has made me feel differently about things that I knew the truth about before the trauma. So I think, again, this plays out in all of us and we need to be really vigilant about what's going on inside of our heads, right? What are we telling ourselves, right? What's changed in ourselves and others as a result of our experiences? And and sometimes what we see are pretty shocking things.
4: Yeah, trauma really warps the truth. I think that's kind of the best way to put it. And you can't see that when you're in the thick of it.
5: That's wonderful. I I mean, you know, I have to credit you But I may use that. Trauma warps the truth, I think. It's just, it's a really beautiful way of putting it because it's it's powerful and it's, and it's concise. And, and man, that, that reflects absolutely what happens. Yes.
4: Yeah. I mean, I, I've experienced trauma on a bunch of different acute levels in my life, as has anybody else. But on the sixth day of having my daughter, we had a flood in our house and not like a normal flood, a flood where like the windows were breaking through our house oh and goodness. the alarms were going off for two hours. No emergency workers could get to us. And it was you know, in my safe place, in my home, in my new life as a mom, sleep-deprived, I was really thrown into a traumatic situation. And this was now 10 weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And the early weeks of that, the four weeks after that, my brain was working so differently than the brain that I normally have. And it was really frightening, the thoughts that I was having. And like you said, like everything that I knew to be true, I was questioning, I'm right. not safe here. I can't be here. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a right. good wife. I'm not, I can't live here. You know, just right. everything really right. got hijacked from me. And it's yes. scary because it feels really true. Your thoughts feel true.
0: <laughs> right.
5: That's right, because you because what's driving those thoughts is emotion, right? And when logic and emotion meet inside of us and clash, like emotion always wins, right? That's a sure bet to make. So, so I mean, just think about it. You know, if you stand back from it, as you can do now, right? I mean, you think about the story of a you know of a, a, a new mother who has a, a flood in their house. It's scary enough to break in windows, right? And we think like, gosh, we I, I feel compassion, right? Like that, that's a scary thing to have happen. And we know the truth. Truth of that is like, well, that was a scary thing that happened to you and you had to get through it, right? But imagine to have powerful thoughts and feelings inside of you of like, oh, I'm not a good mother, right? Right. Like how... How could that match, right, with a situation that warrants compassion, of how scared you were, right? but but, but nothing inside of you makes that connection at the time, right? It just feels true,
4: and I do the compassion work and the mindful mindfulness work. And that is, you know, my audience knows that's a big part of of who I am. And yet trauma came in and washed all that away and really took it out to sea for a long time as well, too.
5: That's right. And I think that's where the the word hijack really, comes into to play, right? Because that's I, I perceive the violence of that, right? Of the, of the trauma coming into you and yanking your thoughts and your emotions and your narrative inside, right? And you can really see that because sometimes this will happen to a person over a period, say, of weeks or of months, and then it recedes and then you can see with clarity, right? But, you know, you can imagine in situations which, which happen to a lot of people, right, where that changes and it doesn't change back. And then say that person really has pervasively inside of them, like, I'm not a good mother and I'm not a good wife and I can't. And, and, like the, and then forgets that that's not true and that's not what they really believe. And, and then, you know, interestingly enough, it can, it can become true. Right, if that's what we feel inside of us, the, the fear can lead us to depression. It can lead people to uh, abusive substances, right, to alcohol, drug abuse, or addiction, and and you know can create panic attacks and sleep disturbance. And so what's what's so fascinating, right, is that you had this experience of change inside of you, right, that came from those powerful emotions, right, and 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 then the fear generated by all of it, right, changes the emotions and changes the dialogue inside of you, right, and you. You see and know that because after a matter of, of weeks it recedes, right? And sometimes that will happen. And then the person knows, like, wow, I, I such different thoughts and feelings about myself and about the safety of the world, right? But you can imagine what happens if the impact of the trauma is strong enough that the fear doesn't recede. Right and that it doesn't change, then there's a new reality, and and the person then has lost the old reality where they thought they they were a capable person and they loved being a mother and saw the joy in it and that they were good at it. Right, like we can actually lose that, and and that's when the trauma and the fear can can really change us in ways that can say create depression inside of us or or panic attacks or sleep disturbance. and then there's the, the desperation can lead to alcohol or drug abuse, right? and And the person can really then lose the narrative and and trauma can make a self-fulfilling prophecy of, of all the things that are actually untrue. right. But if, if as you said, if, if trauma hijacks us and it warps truth for us, then we can completely lose touch with With who we actually are, right? who we were before trauma and have a right inside of us to be
4: again, it's vicious. <laughs> yeah, it's vicious. yeah, here's the part that I think I struggle with and maybe you have an answer for. Sure. I'm a strong believer that our bodies have our back and that we are every part of us is designed to communicate in a way to protect us, whether that's our bodies asking us for food or our minds making us sad, even whatever that is. Mm-hmm. How is the effect of trauma protecting us?
5: So our our bodies and minds are, we've developed through evolution in in the way that you said, right? So our bodies and minds want to protect us, right? But the, the problem is when our bodies and minds get messages that that make them misunderstand what it means to protect us. So the, the idea that if something traumatic happens, we want that to be very powerful emotionally inside of us makes good sense, right? You know, you, you imagine the, the idea of a, in hunter gatherer times which still occurs but a lot of human evolution, right? With times I imagine that you, you know, you, you find something new and you need to try to eat, right? And it, it and it's good and it's nourishing. Well, it's good to remember that. Right. But imagine like you find a new berry and it makes you very, very sick when you eat it. Well, you better remember that right? right. That's about survival. So then these mechanisms happen inside of us that make us like recoil from that, right? It's like we will never forget to not do that again, right? But the problem is that the lessons of trauma, right, are false lessons, right? They're teaching us that we're not safe when we can be safe, right? They teach us, don't leave your house, don't leave bed, don't trust other people, don't trust the world, right? And, and that's a lesson of you can't keep yourself safe, right? You don't have it in you to keep yourself safe safe, right? And, and these are lessons that raise fear and anxiety and terror, and then they misguide the systems in our body. So, they misguide our immune system, which, which then at times can, can turn against us, right? They, they push towards cardiovascular disease, you know, heart attacks and strokes, right? So, so, the systems that are designed to protect us can inadvertently turn against us because they, they don't understand that the lessons are false, and, and and that's among the most dangerous and damaging things that trauma does. is It can turn our minds and our bodies against us through these mechanisms that are designed to protect us. As you said, it's vicious, it's evil, right? This is among the worst things that can be done to a person where you forget truth and then you're living in the fear of a lie, right? And then brain and body turn against us. And, and again, this isn't some fiction or, you know, there's like, I see this play out over and over again, just as anyone does in the mental health field. If we're paying attention, we see this happen over and over again. And we see this happen in the reasons people go to general medical doctors, right? We know that at least half and, and almost surely a lot more than that of of physical health complaints that bring people to physicians are generated by mental health issues, right? They're generated by depression, anxiety, by people PTSD, the, the, by panic attacks, they're generated by all of these things. But then people present with physical health complaints because we don't realize what's happening inside of us. And I see people who end up having surgeries they don't need, right? Having all sorts of medical interventions for, uh, for problems that are, that are based in the mind, which most of the time means based in trauma. And again, I don't think that's esoteric. I think just applying common sense to what plays out in the medical arena tells us exactly that and the data is there telling us exactly that.
4: I definitely hear you on that and I hear, I hear about it a lot through my husband who works as a cardiologist because yes. a lot of those physical manifestations panic attacks and things like that do kind of come through his door. And the psychiatry and cardiology are kind of toggling back and forth. And it's it's really hard, I think, for a patient to understand that when you're saying this isn't a cardiac problem, it's in your head that it's still very real and deserves care just as much as if it were a cardiac problem.
5: Right. It's amazing how the stigma around it makes that so difficult to hear right? Instead of saying, look, the most complex organ in, our, in us is in our brain, right? So why, why are, are we then surprised that it can, can do anything, right, to, to our minds and to our bodies, right? If we, we understood that in a way that really respected the truth of how we're built biologically, physically, psychologically, right, then that wouldn't be a difficult thing to hear, right? It would just, oh, okay, that's, let's address it that way. And by the way, addressing it that way will probably address 15 other problems too. But the stigma around it makes it so hard to hear. And, and if you understand things from the mental health perspective, where I absolutely have, have seen cases, I mean, this is true, where a, a, a stressor, a traumatic event can cause the brain to paralyze a limb. Mm. I mean, if you imagine that, it can cause a person to go blind right? Like this is true, right? And, and if the brain can do these dramatic things to us, isn't it true the brain can do anything else to our bodies? And, and why are we so distressed about that in a way that we, we feel ashamed of, as opposed to acknowledging, hey, this is the truth of how we were built and there's no shame in it. A
0: new season of Bridgerton is here.
4: I think sometimes to your point people are almost let down to learn that there's nothing wrong with them when they go to the doctor. Your cholesterol's good, your enzymes are all functioning well, your pet pa- your blood panels are are fine. Do you think that's because people are afraid to go where the problem really lies? To visit the trauma
5: well, I, I think often people don't know, and I've worked in in, in concert with general medical doctors th- throughout my career and 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 what you see is often people don't know, so so a person just isn't feeling good, right you know they feel bad from head to toe or they have pain from head to toe trauma can can certainly create pain in in all of its various manifestations, right? And people just wanna feel better. So the thought is, well, I'm gonna go see a doctor. The doctor's gonna examine me, doctor's gonna run labs and like, there's gonna be an answer, right? And and then the disappointment is in that, that there's not an answer, right? And and again, because our healthcare systems, we don't do a good enough job, not nearly so, in looking at the impact of mental health. You know the the idea that there's a pyramid in medicine, and say primary care is at the bottom, and then you know then you come up to the more the more rarer specialties, specialties, right? As you go up, and you have rarefied surgeries at the top, like like less people need, right? And and the idea that that this this pyramid doesn't rest upon mental health, I think, is is a fiction, right? Like we should look at mental health is is the pyramid rests in it, and mental health wraps up all around it. And if we saw it in that primary care sort of way. Right? then it wouldn't be you know, people going to, to, to general medical doctors for their physical health ailments and they're getting a referral to another, in a sense, kind of esoteric specialty. And, and like that's not the truth of what's going on in us, but it's the way our healthcare systems work. And then when you think we're looking for quick fixes and we don't want to spend money on things that, ta- that, that require time and human-intensive contact, and, and that's how we get to, we're not looking at the problem at all, which is why it's so easy if someone arrives at actual mental health treatment for them not to get treated, right? For, for them to get slotted into something that polishes the hood, you know, for 10 sessions of something that's not really looking at what's going on. And, and that is a huge problem in our healthcare system that is so obvious. I don't think I'm saying anything esoteric. I think I'm saying something that's, that, that is so obvious and right in front of us and costs us, costs human beings misery and costs lives.
4: I'm curious if it's so obvious to our listeners. I feel like I have like a life pre being married to medicine and post and yeah. being pre and being a patient purely really gave me a different understanding of medicine. And now, you know, being married to my husband and seeing medicine, like you said, from this like overview, I see how things are getting shuffled along all the time and the problems aren't really getting solved. Whereas when I was a patient, you know, a doctor can fix anything and I just need to go to the doctor and they do the work for me. You know, they'll find the problem, they'll find the solution. But truth be told, like you said, now I can see how the medical system itself really doesn't, Allow for doctors to be trained, or to really aspect the mental health component of it all, and that's kind of lingering onto all of us. That's that's it's right there, in like you call you know trauma the invisible epidemic. You know, there's right. this invisible circle around all of us that's just not getting the attention that it needs
5: oh uh, Again, I think you you really are hitting the nail on the head. I mean, absolutely. You know, having come to medicine as a second career, I think it's actually served me quite well because even though I've been doing it for 20 years, I, now I, I do see myself as an outsider to medicine, right? So I kind of have a foot in both sides of that. and. You know, I see how the system works and I think that if if we all knew like if, if everyone knew hey this is how the system functions that, that like you you just reflexively putting your faith in it's going to take care of you you know I I, I think people would be shocked uh, I, I mean and 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 have a, a revulsion to this like how can we let this system take care of us where, you know, how much time do, do physicians spend filling up paperwork on computers and, you know, seeing so many patients that they can't possibly know one from another, let alone stop and think about them. And then so much happens that costs so much money right and cost lives because we've gone away from the common sense of of like listening to people paying attention to them thinking of everything that might be going on with them treating what's right in front of us and then we end up having the most expensive healthcare system of any developed country right? Along with what is, is near the very bottom in terms of quality of care. And I think like, how could that be? We've built this system up around us that, that is supposed to be taking care of us and absolutely is not taking care of us as a society.
4: So what is the antidote to trauma?
5: Well, I think the, the antidote really starts with understanding. It starts with things that are simple. Right. With looking at we can reflect on what's going on inside of me right? I mean, it's something we don't often ask ourselves, what are we saying to ourselves, right? What's the narrative going on in my head, right? If I'm in the car, or I'm in the shower, or I'm just doing something where I'm in my head, what am I saying to myself, right? And people often will discover their narratives, right? Their trauma-driven narratives. And what's my story, right? What is my life narrative, right? Is, is that a life narrative that anchors to my whole history, right? What do people around me Think about it, right? Can I get help through a system or through trusted others to talk about what's going on inside of me? Am I having symptoms or seeing something in other people that's really scaring me, right? Am I participating in the community around me, right? Am I participating in this, this sort of dichotomy of In in the political spectrum of 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 saying, look, if if whatever my beliefs are, I'm going to be attached to whether truth tells me they're true or not, right, right, and and I'm going to fight and argue with you no matter what if you disagree with me, right? Like, is that is that a good stance to be taking, right? Are are we moving away from the shared humanity of saying, hey, we all live here together and we need to take care of ourselves, right? And if we have different views about a political topic, maybe we're well served by thinking, okay, like, can I understand you better? Can you understand? And me a little better. If we disagree, can we agree to disagree, right? Instead of going to a place that says, oh, if you disagree with me, you must be a terrible person, right? And, and then if we both feel that way, aren't we just, just furthering trauma, right? We're, we're furthering the, the, the expression of anger as an end in and of itself, right? If we become dissociated from truth and from the ability to have dialogue, and what we're really doing is just being angry, Right, Being frustrated because of all the trauma that's mounting in us, the pandemic, the socioeconomic difficulties we're having, where entire demographics of endeavor can't make a reasonable living anymore right? Our socioeconomic foundation is being eroded. The impact of systemic racism is everywhere, right? The pandemic created isolation and fear and death that people have to deal with. If we don't really look at this as shared problems and we're fighting ourselves about it, including about the climate that's impacting our planet, then we're not going to be okay. And, And a big part of what I'm making in the book is an appeal to common sense, Look at the lessons of history. Look at the lessons of our major religious traditions. Look at the lessons of science and medicine. Look at the lessons of kindergarten, right? Can we reground to them and look at the truth of what's going on inside of us and around us? And I think it's not rocket science. And and that's the the appeal is the more simple we make this and we just look at it with with a common sense perspective, then we, we see the problem and we see what to do about it. And, and that's that's a, a, a big message of the book is the simplicity of we, we can make this better. We can do things to start making it better right now.
4: And it starts with acknowledging your own pain, your own experience, validating it, right. recognizing maybe how you're invalidating it. Because right. when you're talking about the pandemic in particular, and I think all of us are impacted by that in some way, we could certainly all agree that it has been a tumultuous two years where it feels like everybody's just angry and nobody wants to, like you said, share humanity. Nobody has the goal of humanity. They have the goal of being right. And yes. that divide is only dividing all of us. And it's it's very, it's very scary. But if we could all say, hey, this has been a traumatic time. What does trauma mean? It means that fear has been introduced to our life in some way or another, fear of finances, fear of health, fear of, you know, political and race, racial things, you know, everything that, that we thought we, we, was, we had safety over has been uprooted from us. But if we could say, Hey, I feel unsafe, therefore I'm fearful, therefore I'm reactive. Then we can go back and say, wait a second. I don't want to be reactive. I want to listen so that we could come together and find new safety, but it's so much to unpack and. You really need to acknowledge that you, us all, we're experiencing trauma on some level.
5: If we don't look at ourselves in constructive ways, we will look at ourselves and others in destructive ways, right? So looking at ourselves in constructive ways means taking an inventory and and maybe there is no identifiable trauma, right? But we're living in a society that, that trauma pervades, like well, that's okay. We can look at how, how how can I make the society better, right? Can I do something good for the person down the street? Can I be thoughtful and considerate? Like there are very simple things we can do, but for most of us, when we look inside, we see the impact of trauma and, and we then see how it's affecting our own lives, how it makes you said anger, frustration, right? And then we see that go to ourselves and to others, right? The person who's telling themselves inside what a terrible person they are, right? Is not always projecting that outward, right? But a lot of times is projecting that outward, right? Or is not telling themselves that inside anymore, but is just projecting it outward, right? So, you know, trauma often makes us self-persecute and that's what happens more often than not. I think most people baseline are are good and conscientious and don't want to be harming anyone else. So the trauma leads them to harm themselves, right? And then it may be that the secondary effects of that harm other people, but we take it inside of us, right? But we also at times project it outside of us in our anger, our frustration, our intolerance, right? The idea of just what, what, what about me, right? And I want to do what I feel like doing. And I don't want to look at anything beyond that. I don't want to look at a community good. Why? Because I feel bad right? And, and if we don't look at that and say, gosh, even before the pandemic, our civil dialogue was really degenerating, right? It's not like we were in a great place before the pandemic as a society. And then what has happened over these years that has, that has made it so much worse? And we just have to look at it. Otherwise, we're really threatening the foundation that our society rests upon. I mean, there there is some foundation of mutuality, right? That's how we build a society. That's how we've built a nation. And we've built our core values of democracy and economic opportunity. And unless we look at ourselves and and what's going on inside of us and what trauma has done to us before these last two years, let alone over these last two years, we risk destroying what we inherited, right? Like none of us built this place right like we're fortunate enough to be here and 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 we may lose what was built for us unless we look at the truth of what's going on inside of us and what's going on between
4: all of us i love that and your book every step of the way provides tools for i think the way trauma can impact all of us from anxiety to sleep disturbances and providing different you. like you said the word antidotes to kind of work through those. And I think when we're feeling any of those things, particularly anxiety, we feel really trapped by it. And kind of having you spell it out for us is just one tool to, as I like to say, like sift through it. Right. I think being human is like a compounding feeling of emotions where we just get weighed down and then Mm -hmm. we don't know like which way is left and which way is right. But there's so many tools in this book that help us just sift through one layer at a time. And for anyone that hasn't worked with a professional before, I think it's a great starting place to validating you. your human experience.
5: Thank you. Thanks so much. That's what I aim for it to do and to be for people. So I appreciate you reflecting that back. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Well, it was amazing work on, on this book. I really enjoy it. It'll be next to my bed for a long time, Thank picking you. it up, reading it, and just reminding me, I think really like to tie it all up for me, it came down as many things do to, the role of compassion and softening in life's hardest moments rather than putting on the armor and trudging along. Because as I'm sure you see all the time, at some point the trudging along you know, falls apart and a person's left with no answers
5: that's right it it's so easy to to trivialize or to discount compassion and i write in the book about compassion community and and humanity the sense of of the broad interests of of all of us right as as a group of people who are living together and and that all starts with compassion and i think that's really the central message of the book is around compassion not as some esoteric pie in the sky goal but as as a real good and a real truth that we can deploy in our lives right now with real change coming from that focus on compassion. I appreciate you highlighting that, which is really a central message of the book.
4: Well, thank you so much for your time and your work in this world. We're going to put all of your information below. We're going to put a link for your new book, and we hope to have you back on the show sometime soon.
5: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. I, I really appreciate it.
4: Thank you so much, doctor.